0: Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. Hey, we are going to go back to uh, the Wandering series. And uh, just for sake of review, last week I suggested two possible reasons why 40 years. Why didn't they just go right into the Promised Land? And uh, last week we looked at the idea that they didn't really know God. You know, they have been in slavery for hundreds of years, generations. And honestly, if you look at this, the text, God hadn't really shown up during any of that time that we know of. He was pretty much distant and, and, and not around. They didn't know who this God was that all of a sudden rescues them. And so we looked at the idea of uh, uh, an arranged marriage, <laughs> interesting concept, uh, that really it was a it was romantic Kind of story that this was about a relationship that God wanted to have with Israel. And uh, the 40 years, we looked at that as kind of a honeymoon period, if you will. Just like the brides of those days didn't know their husbands well, they were arranged marriages. Honeymoons were designed uh, to do no work, to do nothing except get to know each other, build a relationship. And that's what we looked at last week. If you missed it and that sounds a little weird to you, uh, go check it out. Uh, This week we're going to talk about the uh, second reason we have proposed and that is that they just simply weren't ready to go into the promised land. They didn't really know God. Uh, They didn't trust God. They didn't necessarily believe his promises. He had said things but even though he'd shown up and done some things again because they didn't know him but mostly they just, it was too early for them to really trust this God in some really big ways. So this is going to be this is going to be a pretty straightforward conversation about what does it mean, what does it take to enter the promised land, uh, what does it take to experience the promised land, not just for Israel, but maybe for us as well. So that's what we're going to dig into. We're going to kind of land on the story of the 12 spies that were sent into the land as our, as our focus here. So let's dig into the text. Here it is. It starts in uh, Numbers 13. And first it starts with what the Lord tells Moses. Uh, Yeah, The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So that's the direction he gave Moses. And notice in there he didn't say, Hey, go send some people in there and see if they can do this. See if they can conquer the land. That wasn't God's mindset. He simply said, Hey, this is the land I am giving to them. I've already promised this land to them. Send some people in to explore what the land that I'm giving them looks like. And then kind of in the same vein, Moses addresses the spies, the 12, uh, the one from each tribe. And he says in Numbers 13, When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and into the hill country. See what the land is like. Whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? I mean, it was just a survey. It was just like, go see what it's like. Again, not we're not sure if we can do this. Uh, that was not the conversation. We just, go explore. Come back. Tell us what it looks like before we go in or in. That was the mindset. Well, so that's what happens. Uh, for 40 days, they go to explore the land. Uh, and I... If you look at it, it's really kind of cool to think about the nation. This is like from the bottom, from the Negev all the way up to the hill country, close to today's border with Lebanon. What what does that look like? What, 40, 40 days, 12 guys, where did they go? Well, if you started in Vancouver, Washington, and went up to like Bellingham, that's about as far as you would go, about 250 miles. And it was about 60, I mean, different... 60 miles of good range width to see the country. Again, that'd be from the, the coast of Washington to the Cascade Mountains. Uh, that's a lot of territory, uh, a lot to explore. But they did that in 40 days. And then they come back, and here's the, uh, the first initial report. It says this, 1326. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran there they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them some of the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does indeed flow with milk and honey. Here's some of its fruit. So the first report is kind of neutral, kind of starts out with, hey, it's, it's like you told us. It is an amazing country, got lots of uh, farming potential, lots of produce. Um, and that's what they started out with. Well, they're there were two responses to this initial report. Um, the first one, the next verse, it says, but, and I just want to emphasize that, some of you may have looked ahead at the title of today's talk, but but the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites Jebusites, Amorites live in the hill country, the Canaanites, and the Mosquito Bites live near the sea and along the Jordan. I just can't help but throw that in there because it kind of fits. So here's that that but statement. Yes, it's like you said, but here's some things that we're really worried about. Here's some things that we may just have to call this off. Well, Caleb jumps in and... uh, just to know, Caleb and Joshua were in the same two. They were two of the spies that went into the land. And Caleb speaks for them when he says this. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. <laughs> well, yeah, he didn't. He saw the same thing, didn't they? They both saw exactly the same thing. They heard the same account. They experienced the same thing. And then there's two different responses, two reports. One was a good one by Caleb, based on faith. Based on, hey, God said we're supposed to go in there. Let's do it. Doesn't matter what else is there. But the others said, hmm, no. Their reaction, their report is based on fear. Uh, And it goes on. The bad report uh, continues. Numbers 13. But the men who had gone up with him said... We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are a great size. We saw the Nephilim. The descendants of Anak came from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Well, You see, see how it gets a little hyperbolic here. Uh, fear always creates exaggeration, and apparently it also is contagious, because a lot of the other people started to join in on their concerns. It spreads. Um, did you did you hear the description? Let's just review a couple of them. Uh, the land ex- devours those living in it. Well, that'd be interesting to see. Didn't really. I mean, that's they're thinking about what's going to happen to them. But clearly, they didn't see a land where the land devoured people. And then second, all the people we saw there were of great size. Well, they mentioned this Nephilim. and It's a strange chapter. I don't have any answers. You can come up to me afterwards and say, where were these Nephilim giants? And uh, well, they're, uh, I won't even go into their genealogy. But uh, it's a strange deal. But there are apparently some giants in the land. Goliath was one of those. Uh, but there were... Big guys, but they were a very small minority—maybe one percent. We don't know, but it's—it's not all the people are of great size. Uh, And then we seemed like grasshoppers to them. And uh, and same, that's the way they viewed us. Uh, How did you know that? Well, you see what happens when you take the same information, but if you base it on fear, you get this weird interpretation. You get this weird uh, evaluation. So that's what's going on. Well. Again, the question for today is: How big is your butt? Uh, How big is your reason for not doing, or not believing, not accepting what God has said? We all have a butt. (laughs) I'm sure Caleb thought, "Hey, small butt. Hey, there's some concerns here." Uh, But what dominated for him was he listened to God's story. Uh, But then, then there's the huge butt oh gosh, there's no way, uh-huh. mm-hmm. look at all, they just gets blown way out. Of here. Huge butt, like cosmetic surgery type butt. Uh, well, honestly, we live in a culture today, we, we live in a culture today where the majority voice is that voice that opposes God's view, that opposes what God has promised. We're surrounded by that majority voice that can create fear in us just as well. Uh, We live in a culture where, even in America, stunning, you know, a lot of people, 85% would say, oh yeah, I believe in God, I know God. Uh, Well, we can have a lot of people that know God, even believe God, believe his promises, but are paralyzed or some other way unable to trust God to do what he has said. Uh, You can believe up here a lot of things, but it takes much more to actually enter into what God has said. Um, so that's, that's kind of what we're looking at. I wanted to take a little side view here and look at two other stories uh, from the Bible that I think really highlight this idea a lot. One is David and Goliath, which seems really appropriate. We're talking about a giant here. How did, how did David face his giant? What was David's response? Uh, and it's really kind of interesting uh, Quick review of the situation. Um, By the way, we've been there. If you ever have a chance to go to Israel, do it, because these kind of things come to mind all the time when we think about, oh, David and Goliath. I I remember standing in the middle of this valley, and over here you could see the hill where the Philistines are camped, and over here you can see the ridge where the Israelites camp, and we're kind of down in this little ravine, and that's where Goliath must have walked out to every day, taunting the Israelites, this nine-foot giant that I'm sure uh, didn't do well for confidence. But it talked about the Israel camp just being full of fear. We can't do this. Day after day, like a month goes by, and no one is ready to challenge this giant because they looked at their own selves. But then this David guy comes along. He's still a shepherd. He's a teenager. But he comes along and he evaluates it different. Uh, what made David different from everybody else? Well, it starts this way, because Saul Saul, kind of scoffs at David when David suggests, hey, I'll go after this guy. I'll, I'll defeat him. And he's a 17-year-old shepherd with no military experience. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. That yeah, makes sense. Yeah, that's a good evaluation. <laughs> but what is... What does uh, David say? Well, he says two things. One, one is, finally, uh, he's persuaded, and he goes, okay, well, if you're going to go out there, here's my armor. And he puts all this stuff on him. And David puts it on and goes, this isn't for me. This doesn't fit me. And I think it's a great analogy how we go about things. Are we going to put on kind of the, the armor of the world? Are we going to put on this, okay, if I'm going to live this life, I've got to arm myself with things that, the world says are, are worth uh, putting on. And David said, no, no, God has given me my own gift that I've used. I'm a stone slinger. <laughs> you know that's, I've defended my flock from danger before. That's what God's given me. God will be with me. But here's what he says to, to Saul. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Because he's defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. So not only is he trusting in God's promise, but he's got experience. Uh, He's been prepared. He's been trained for this day. It may not seem like it, he's still a youth. But God has trained him in his own way, in God's way, to be prepared for this. To have confidence that God has done it before. He'll do it again. that's so key. Uh, He had to build that experience. And then finally, David said to the Philistine this, "'You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, "'but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, "'the God of the armies of Israel, which you have defied. "'This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, "'and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. "'This very day I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds.'" into the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. Well, that's a, that's a bold statement from a 16, 18-year-old kid, whatever he was. How could he possibly say that in face of what he's looking at? Uh, the only conclusion I can come to is he, know God, he knows God really well. He has spent a lot of time in developing this relationship. He knows what, who God is. He knows it's not him that's going to do this. He knows God's going to do it through him. Um, huge, huge difference. Well, that was David and his Goliath, his giant. Um, let's look at another story in Jesus' time. Uh, again, we've talked about this story before, but it fits here so well. And that was Peter walking on the water. We remember the story where Jesus is, sends them out on the boat in the, uh, in the evening. He stays on land, and you know, this story has a lot of questions. How's Jesus going to get over here? He just sent us. Huh? Oh, well, never mind. So they go out into the sea, and uh, after a few hours, they're fighting against the, the storm that's starting to swell. And uh, now they're getting terrified. The storm's raging around them. And they see Jesus, who is walking on the water. And it, again, this fear comes in, because they're terrified at this point. They see this guy. They have no idea. It's a ghost, they think. And then Jesus calls out, don't be afraid, it's I. It's Jesus. And then Peter, Peter, this faced with the same fear, all 12 again. (laughs) All 12 faced the same fear, the same circumstance. They all saw the same thing. And he yells out to uh, to Jesus, if it's really you, call to me. Talk to me, tell me to come and I'll come to you. I know you. And I know I can trust what you say. So call me. And Jesus, okay, come on out. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> but he does. I mean, I've often looked at that, and I go, huh? what's that first step look like for Peter? You know, I just, okay. You know, I don't know how he did it, but he you just kind of jump out there, and he's walking along. I mean, this is a strange experience. So how can he do it? Because he's not thinking, I can do this. He's thinking, no, the guy who called me, the guy I know, told me to come. He's going to enable me to do this. And he does. As long as he keeps his eyes on Jesus, he's fine. But I love this part of the story because he looks around again, looks at the the butt around him. Oh, the wind, the waves. This is dangerous. What am I doing here? What have I possibly been thinking? and he starts to sink, and he cries out again. Jesus pulls him up, and they go back into the boat. Uh, again, a great picture. Uh, do we focus on Jesus, or do we focus on the situation, the circumstances we're in? Because one response is based on faith, and the other one's based on fear. And I just said, if there's nothing else you get out of today, where do you, what do you base your decisions on? Uh, what voice do you listen to? Uh, what makes your decision about whether you're going to do something or not, particularly when you know what God is saying. There you are know, lots of gray areas out there, but there's some things where we kind of know God is calling me, God is asking me to do things, and we just, do we follow through or do we think about a big reply? Um, <laughs> that would be, be the big question. Well, that's two stories that tell us. Uh, we go back to the story uh, in numbers, and what happened to them? Well, because they couldn't overcome, because they couldn't trust him, because the whole camp was infected with the big butt, they were infected with fear, they couldn't proceed. And so they were denied. They were unable or not allowed to go into the Promised Land. They had to spend 40 years wandering in the desert. Well, why 40 years? Well, God decided it was going to be one year for every day that you explored the land. So you're gonna be there 40 years. But I think the underlying reason was this, this generation has to die off. And there's gonna be a new generation that rises up, that's gonna know me, that's gonna experience me, and they're gonna trust me when this comes up again. Um, so that's kind of why I think a big reason why they were stuck, if you will. But it wasn't stuck, it wasn't punishment. It was preparation and transformation, like I mentioned. Last week. That's why we face our wilderness experiences. If every time we face a wilderness experience in our lives and we think, oh gosh, what am I getting punished for this time? I invite us to think about this not being punishment, but how is this, what is God doing in this situation to prepare me? Uh, What is God trying to do in my life? Is God trying to transform me in a way so that I'm better prepared to do something? I mean, I've shared this a couple times. But that was our our wilderness experience in the in our ministry life was San Jose great place, lovely weather is like this every day uh, but it 's a little expensive in San Jose, and you didn 't get paid that much in ministry and it, you know compound that with the fact that we had two kids that were that had graduated high school, they were getting married and going to college, and we had a lot of outflow in, in our budget and not a lot of income and uh, so that was one, but two it was a uh, horrific time for kind of health reasons for Judy, which I've mentioned before. And uh, <laughs> it was easy to go, hey, I know you called me here, but uh, there are some things we'd like to talk about. And looking back, both of us would say, God, use that time. Because we continued to trust him even in the midst of all of that. Uh, we could see clearly he was preparing us, he was transforming us, he was doing a work in our family, doing a work in our relationship that maybe hadn't, couldn't have been done without that experience. Uh, so that's where we found ourselves. Well, I want to kind of wrap this up with four takeaways uh, that we want to look at uh, for ourselves. Um, number one, it takes faith to enter the promised land, <laughs> to experience the promised land, not just out there. Yeah, I know, i got to have faith to be saved. You know, i got a faith to go to heaven. That's the promised land. Well, the promised land is, is right here, too. Um, this is our promised land. Do we experience it or do we not experience it? Are we only focused on what comes after? Or do we want to experience what God has for us right now? That takes faith. Um, <clears throat> here's a great uh, verse I love. <clears throat> it's in uh, Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Um, so faith is the key here. Well, the question might come up, well, what would it take to have that kind of faith? I don't have that kind of faith. I don't have that kind of trust. What's, what's it take to get that kind of confidence that David had, that Peter had? What's, what's the key here? Well, I, I would just say trust takes commitment. Uh, you can't have trust in someone unless you're committed to that person unless you're committed to a relationship that develops trust just like David from the time of his years before he spent time with God every day um, is, do we gain today are we gaining experience are we being trained and prepared for maybe some bigger things that have to come up because they will um, do we deny ourselves uh, experiencing things because we let circumstances or fear keep us from embracing what God's promised us? Uh, again, I would emphasize that it's it, Christian may be found in the dictionary as a noun, but I would suggest it's a verb. Being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus is an action word. It's not something we believe. It's something we trust in. It's something we commit ourselves to. Um, once we do that then then guess what We start to build that kind of faith and trust uh, it takes It takes that kind of action to do that. Uh, I was thinking uh, thinking as well, I shared this story a while back, but again, it fits in. I remember standing on that ledge in Zambezi River in Zimbabwe on this giant swing that was two hundred and fifty feet above the river, and uh, my uh, first thought was, "You're an idiot! What are you doing up here? You've lived a good life. Why ruin it now?" Um, and I stood on that ledge, and I, I had to take action. I had to say, "Okay, I'm going to commit to this. I'm going to trust this situation." And what what made it? I'm, I was evaluating that as I was thinking about this talk. Well, what what was the what, what made me step out? What made me trust what was going on there? And I think a lot of it. Well, part of it was okay. <laughs> looks like everything's in place. You've got okay, yeah, okay. But that wasn't enough. You know, if this had been the first time, hey, we just put this swing up here. We were, <laughs> it's gonna work great. There's no way I would have done that. But because I knew that hundreds, thousands of people had done this, I could trust that. Hey, it's worked all this time before. I'm gonna trust. This isn't gonna be the time it fails. I know, sometimes it happens. But that was a huge part of it for me, um, is the experience. And I think, you know, like David, David was prepared. He had experiences before. Uh, I think this, this group of people is unique. They weren't ready. They weren't prepared. They weren't able to trust. Why? Because they're the first ones on the platform. They've just, they barely knew this God. And he's asking them to do. This is the first time God's shown up and said, "I want you to go do this thing. I'll be with you. You're going to go do this. (laughs) Seriously, how do we? Have you done this before, God? Is this, you know, this my swing experience? But I can imagine that's where they were. They couldn't. They didn't have the benefit of the stories of David, Peter, all of what Jesus did. Uh, They had some stories from generations before that they probably thought were myths but God had just showing up. and it, it, They weren't ready, but that's what it takes. Um, third, what report do we listen to? Again, I mentioned we're, the majority report is always going to be opposed to what God's promise is. Uh, it's always going to offer us the way of the world, uh, like David. What, what are we going to put on to, to get through this life? Are we going to rely on what God said, or are we going to rely on what the world says? Um, the world's always given a bad report. First John 4, 4. I love this. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Um, to have confidence in the God that we know uh, you know Jesus said similar thing he said I'm the good shepherd but the, my sheep hear my voice they know my voice they won't listen to a stranger You know, just like Peter I know your voice I know who you are I'll do what you tell me to do in spite of the world and what, all that's going on around me is that where you're going to put your trust is that the voice that you're going to listen to uh, you know, instead of telling God how big our enemies are, we should start telling our enemies how big our God is. That may be a different perspective for us. That may be, help us kind of realize, hey, our God is huge. God can do anything. God, again, is not necessarily asking us to do things for him. He's asking us to do things through us. He's going to do it in us. That changes everything. But that's got to be our, our hope and our trust is in him, not in what I can do. And then finally, uh, this idea of are we people who look back or are we people who look ahead? Because um, Israel, if you read this story, we'll probably hit on a couple of those things in the next couple of weeks, but they're a group that look back constantly. You know, from day one, day two. They've finally been, they've been rescued. Are you kidding me? Look what God did, these plagues, and then boom, they're across the Red Sea. Israel's, or Egypt is dead in the sea. Pharaoh's been beaten, first thing. Oh my gosh, we have no water. We should have stayed in Egypt. You brought us out here to kill us? It's like, seriously? Come on, guys. But it happens over and over again. Hey, we have no food. Who's going to feed? Oh, we should have stayed in Egypt. At least we had food every day. Uh, Now you bring us out here to die. (laughs) It's a new paradigm, this trusting this God. Um, Well, uh, I would suggest that's not too uncommon from us because how many times do we rely on our past. We rely on kind of what we grew up with and not on this new relationship, this new paradigm of not living life trusting my gifts, my intelligence, my abilities. Um, I can have all those. I can use all those. But do I rely on those or do I rely on the God who gave me all of those? Big difference. Big difference. Uh, For some of us, the pull of the old life is a big one because we we like to hold on to our, ourself. we like to be in control we don 't like to give certain things up i 'll follow you, but i 'm going to have to be the captain of this ship. Maybe we think uh, i 'm going to make the uh, the big decisions. You can be my co you can be a wingman over here. Um, thank you for doing that, but that 's not really why i 'm here um, it doesn 't work that way he 's got to be the captain. Um, I wanted to finish with this little story. <laughs> The story of how, uh, you know how they catch monkeys in the wild? Something I learned when we were in Africa. It's kind of an interesting story. Not something you learn every day, but how do they catch monkeys in the wild? Simple. Uh, They take a jar that's got a narrow neck on it, and uh, they stake it to a pole somewhere, clearing, and then they put something in the jar that monkeys like. I don't know what that, I can't remember what that was, but just whatever monkeys like. Maybe it's candy. Maybe they like Hershey bars, I don't know, we'll make it Hershey bars. What happens? Well, a monkey, the narrow neck is fine to get your hand down, but once you grab onto something, you form a fist, you can't pull your hand out. <laughs> you think, well, these monkeys aren't that stupid. Well, yes, they are. I mean, here's a guy's waiting in the bush, and as soon as the monkey grabs the jar, done, and he walks out, calmly walks up to the monkey. Hello, thank you now get your hand out of here all the monkey had to do was let go he was gone he will hold on to what he wanted so badly that even though it cost him his freedom he won't let go because that's what I want and I wonder if we're like that sometimes do we, are we letting go of our past are we letting go of the things that we used to rely on are we, I'm going to hold on to that even though it cost us our freedom, even though it cost us experiencing the promised land sometimes because we refuse to give up control, we refuse to give up habits, we refuse to give up things that we like about our old life. Um, Well, that's a couple of verses that we know well that they fit in here really well. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. Live a new life. Forget the past. Forget Egypt. It's going to do you no good in this new promised land. Um, Secondly, Matthew 16, 24, what did Jesus say? Hey, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross, which was like saying every day I'm going to die to my old self. Every day I'm going to put my attention on what's ahead I'm not going to rely on what I used to be I'm not going to rely on the things I used to do am not going to let those things keep me from what he has for me well let's, uh, let's pray Jesus thank you Father thank you for gosh these old stories that uh, are as much a new story for us as they were new for them at the time as we think about how you engage us uh, thank you that uh, your desire is to give us such rich land to live in, such a rich experience, not just a heaven for forever, but starting now we can experience what you have for us. It can be a rich, full life if we'll not let the distractions of the world and the things that surround that promise um, take over. So we, uh, we commit that to you today. We pray that you would teach us what it means for each of us personally to uh, develop that experience, that relationship that allows us to continue to choose you, to trust you, to believe what you say. Uh, In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, have a great week.